Travelers flying into Rio de Janeiro get to experience a picturesque landing unlike any other. As their plane descends toward the city, a towering figure atop Corcovado Mountain stands tall against the backdrop of the stunning landscape. This is Christ the Redeemer, a 98-foot sculpture of Jesus that welcomes all who visit Brazil. Erected in 1931, this masterpiece was a collaborative effort of artistry and engineering, a testament to human creativity, spiritual solace, and reverence. The statue was created as a response to a national desire to emphasize Brazil's Christian identity and unity. Envisioned by Brazilian engineer Hector de Silva Costa and French sculptor Paul Landowski, construction began in 1922 and took nearly nine years to complete. The statue's framework was built with steel and reinforced concrete. The outer layer, handcrafted from more than a thousand soapstone tiles, provides an elegant and protective surface. Construction necessitated the invention of an innovative cogwheel railway to transport workers, materials, and tools up the steep slopes. Over 3,400 workers were employed to complete this monumental project. The final result is not only a masterpiece of art and engineering, but also a profound symbol of faith, compassion, and unity. Since its inauguration on October 12th of 1931, Christ the Redeemer has been described as one of the seven wonders of the modern world. It continues to draw visitors from around the globe, offering each person a striking view of a loving and gracious God, one whose arms are always open wide. That's pretty amazing. Not only that, but there are over 600 metric tons of material in that. The arms are over 92 feet wide. Imagine arms basically the width of this room. That's how wide the arms are. And what would it be if we were to be able to engage our society right now today with the love of Jesus? How would, how would that affect our world and how could we do that? Because he's on a peak some 2,300 feet above. He, you can't miss him or can you? Because just because he's there, the representative of Christ, does that mean that everybody in that entire town is just following God to the letter and experiencing peace and joy and, and life abundant? Uh, no, uh, Go see Mardi Gras in Rio de Janeiro, and you can see that it's, it's just become a statue to many. But are we, are we just a statue in our community? Are we just a, 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 a hypocrite, so to speak, of those around us who are seeking something, seeking healing, seeking truth, seeking life, seeking joy, seeking peace? And how can we become that? I want to start with this because what Jesus is there, he's an obvious figure, an obvious uh, statue, but easy to see. And what we really need is, is purpose and, and a point of reference. So here's what I want you to do. I think I've done this here once before, but I want to just repeat it. I want you, everybody to take one finger. Everybody take one finger right now, one finger on one of your hands, preferably this one. Um, but that finger... 
Now I want you to close your eyes with your fingers still pointing and with your eyes closed. Everybody close your eyes. Everybody close your eyes. I'm going to count to three, and I want you at the count of three to point north. With your eyes closed, one, two, three, point north. Now everybody keep pointing, keep pointing, keep pointing, but now open your eyes and look around. Somebody is wrong, okay? Um, you can put your hands down. Now, here's my question. What if there was an emergency? And they ran and they said, oh my gosh, there was a chemical spell and it's blowing this way. Everybody must leave and go north immediately. Who are you going to follow? I'm not following any of you people, okay? That's all I'm going to say. You know who I'm going to follow? Either the person who knows true north or whoever has a compass. That's who I'm going to come follow. Doesn't matter how I feel about you. Doesn't matter if I agree with you. If you have a compass and that compass is true, I'm going to follow the compass. That's what Jesus is. That's what God is in our world. And he's, he's providing that. And even this beautiful statue, the Redeemer, he says, I came that you would have life and have life to the full. And, and yet, are we following? Because here's the deal. If we want to be that person, that, that leads those to the Redeemer who will give us life and life abundant, healing for our pain, purpose in our pain and in our life, we, there's really two conditions if we are going to be that in our society. Because our society is going in a thousand directions, many running directly into the chemical spell that will kill, rob, and destroy life. But if we'll stop and say, okay, what do we need to do? Well, we've got to become like Christ the Redeemer. We have to, these really two conditions. The first condition is simply found in John chapter 1, in the Gospel of John. It says simply this in chapter 1, verse 14. It says, the word became flesh and dwelled among us. That was Jesus. And he beheld, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I want you to say those two words with me. Grace and truth. That's how Jesus came. This entire book is wrapped up in how Jesus came, and if we want to impact our world, how we must come. It says a couple verses later in verse 17, for the law was given through Moses. In other words, the rules of this world and how to live it to the full. But when we start reading those rules, we realize we don't measure up. As Chad so beautifully put, he's like, I've, I get the big H because I don't even do what I know I should do. But it says this in verse 17, and the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. If we are going to reach our society, it's not just to live and let live. We, have, we must engage with grace and truth. In a society that just says, I identify as, fill in the blank. I saw a video a couple weeks ago of a, of a young teenage girl who identifies as a horse. I'm not making this up. Look it up on YouTube. She walks on all fours and eats grass. Okay? I, I, I don't care how many shots you give her, how much time you can put a saddle on her right around the yard. She's not a horse. And see, here's the deal. That's an extreme view, but you take it on down. I identify as whatever is different than what we were created as. Usually what I'm finding on a regular basis, it comes out of pain. It comes out of an injustice. 
It comes out of a lack of purpose, a lack of stability. It, it comes in a thousand different ways. But if we're going to reach that, it's not to just look and go, you're crazy. That's not who you are. That's not how it works. See, the enemy has confused and steals and robs and seeks to destroy us, all of us, by telling us what we are not and what we are and what we should be or could be. But Jesus comes in grace and truth. And if we're going to reach, we have this first condition. This first is we will only be able to be like Jesus if we receive, accept what he offers. And that is forgiveness of all those rules that we don't line up with, with all those doubts we have. And we bring them to him and let him redeem us into who he created us to be. In John chapter 1 verse 12, it says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believed in his name. There has to come a point where we receive who Jesus said he was. Not just know about him, but actually receive him. Each word, I come, each year I come up with a word. I pray through it. I'm like, Lord, what is my word for the year? And I've been through a couple years of very relational trials and this year, God took me to a verse in Matthew, and I love this passage. It's the first year I've ever had a word that's hyphenated, and the word is yoke in. Yoke in. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, this is God saying, I want you to receive me into your burden, into your mess, into your troubles, into your doubts, into all the negatives, and, and I want you to let me in there. And listen what he says, come to me all who are labored and are heavy burdened. I qualify. I'm there. He says, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly or humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God wants to be in the middle of our crazy our failures, our, our lack of hope, our lack of joy, our lack of peace. And he wants to say, hey, yoke in. I'm going to carry the heavy part if you'll let me in there. And I, and I love this, this part of receiving that is, is a process of allowing God in the middle of that wherever we are. Now, now Chad mentioned the idea um, of this open house for serving in the past couple of services and being a part of serving. This last year, I got to check off one of my bucket list items. I want to do something in all 50 states. I lack two, Alaska and New Hampshire. This past summer, our church was, my church was doing a mission trip to Alaska. There's this church up there, and you can imagine the weather is not always great in Alaska, especially during the winter. And, and there's just all this work to be done. So I went up with 19 guys. And we just did all this work around. So I spent three days in an attic blowing insulation. And uh, we just hung out. But one day, the gentleman who was kind of the foreman over the project, he said, hey, if y'all are doing your devotion today, you ought to do it on the roof. Because you can see Denali. And this is a picture on the roof. And you can see those clouds in the background. Those are not clouds. That is Mount McKinley or Mount Denali in Four Acre Mountain. That mountain, if you saw Christ the Redeemer, that's on a granite peak 2,300 feet above Rio de Janeiro. You can see that. You saw that picture. That's Denali. That mountain is 10 times taller than that. 
You can see it in the background. I want somebody to, somebody from each section to give me a guess. How far away do you think that mountain is from where we're standing in Chugiak, Alaska, which is north of Anchorage? How far do you think that mountain is? Somebody take a guess over here. A hundred miles. Anybody over here? What? 99 miles. Okay, he's going lower. This is not the price is right, but that's a great guess. Um, somebody over here, how far? A thousand, that's a little high, but not, it's closer than 99. What, what, it's actually 350 miles away, and you can see it that clearly. See, here's the deal. They can see Denali. I could see Denali, but do I know Mount Denali? No. I, I'd have to go to it to catch the mass of this mountain. I would have to climb it to experience it. And what I'm sharing and what God is saying is word, until we receive him into our lives, we don't really know him. We can know about him. We can see some of the effects. We can see some of the people struggling, but we don't know him. And that part of accepting him into our world is huge. And accepting him into the pieces that are not great. I want to just share very briefly that challenge in our world because here's the deal when we come to people in grace and truth life happens love really happens um, several years ago my wife and I decided we were going to help out with foster care and we fostered a couple kids and then some friends of ours from church were fostering the mother was going to lose parental rights she didn't show back up and so we had done some uh, provisional care for this one young man. He was 10 at the time. We're like, man, we would take him in a heartbeat. We went through the process, fostered for a year, and then brought him into our home, into our family. And the first three years were, were pretty much an acclamation, good kid, and then it just kind of started going off the rails. And for the past four years, it has been traumatic to say the least. I'm not going to give you all the details, but basically this young man comes from a family, a mother who took him around to multiple states, multiple uh, boyfriends in that process, drugs, out of drugs, into drugs, and he'd never done drugs, but now he was starting to get lured into that, into the point where we started noticing a lot of bad decisions. Which culminated in, and then this is, it's actually a little humorous looking back at it, is that he decided to smoke weed at school, in class, and videotape it and put it on the internet. What could possibly go wrong with that? And that was one where I literally, as I'm praying, God help. And things started to unravel and started to become obvious, and there was great manipulation and cheating and lying and stealing and, and all this. And his family, his biological family, every one of them had been involved in addiction and been to jail and were like, Lord, help. We got him into rehab and that went fairly well and it was going well. We even got him into a school as he was processing out that would allow him to study and get his his high school and a training, and we all flew out, and we all agreed, and we're like, this is great. And he's like, that is where I want to go. I pick him up to take him out. He goes, I'm not going. And he says, what I've decided is I need to be there. This is from a 16-year-old. I love this. I, I've, I've just, I think what I need to be is just I need to be emancipated. Absolutely, yes. I said, do you realize as a parent my goal in life is that my children would be emancipated? that they would be free to go be adults and not live here anymore. That's my goal in life. 
And he came up with the idea, and we walked through that part, and it did just went off the rails from there to where he says, I would rather live in rehab than have you as my, my dad. And does that change? That's when grace becomes real, when grace is abused. And see that, I, I literally, I'm like, Lord, where, where did I go wrong? What did I do wrong? I mean, we found this, this rehab and it was great. And then we found this school that we all agreed on. It's for foster kids who came from his background that has counseling and living. It, it, where did I miss it? And can I tell you, God whispered in my heart, you didn't. He says, you didn't. That was the best. But I made you with a will. And you have a choice. See, because for true love to exist, choice has to exist. And for that rejection, and I, can, I, I won't go into all the details, but he's, we found the next best place. And it was a halfway place. He got his high school diploma, and he's now, um, apparently he's headed out to California to a youth with a mission camp. But as soon as he hit 18, done. We haven't heard from him. And it breaks my heart. But I'm, I, I say that to say grace and truth. Telling him, hey, your lifestyle's okay. I mean, your whole biological family, they did it and they're all right, right? <laughs> Not. But it's grace with truth. Because here's the deal. Once we receive that grace, once we receive that, we have to choose. There's a second condition, and that's if we believe Jesus was who he said he was. And if we believe that he wants in our world, and in the world to transform us to who we were meant to be. See, because I love this saying that I heard it back when I was a new Christian. Jesus loves us 100% unconditionally wherever we are. But he loves us too much to let us stay there. Because he knows the life, abundant, joy, hope, peace that he longs and only he can give. And once we believe, okay, I'm going to trust in him. In Romans 5.13, it's one of my favorite verses. It says, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The version I memorized, it says, may you, you, the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust. It's a process. It's in life. It's in reality. So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, when we start believing, and I want to transition one second. Take the part of your life right now that you can't say is defined by hope, joy, and peace. That's where Jesus wants to be. That's where he wants his Holy Spirit to say, hey, let me walk you through this. My yoke is easy. My burden's light. I'm going to take the heavy end. Let me teach you how to love in that how to live in that, and how to function with joy in that, because that's where he lives. That's what authentic manhood is. It's the, the piece we're doing for men on Sunday night and Monday mornings for the next four weeks. It's that opportunity. It's not really a study as much as it's information about how God made us. And then it's communication around table, around some questions dealing with that. And then it's encouragement and validation that there's a really good chance you're already doing a lot of it. To just validate, you want to find fulfillment, here it is. 
And it covers real topics. I remember guys around the table just talking about wives and communication. I'm like, guys, try this one. Has your wife ever said this? Something like, hey, Tuesday. Well, they're, yeah, they're not. Okay. Have you ever had that conversation with your wife? And I literally started asking, do I need to be here for this? And she's like, no, not for this one. And, and it's like, okay, how do I learn to, to function and encourage my wife in those situations? And, and it's about getting real. It's, and it's bringing back to that point. I want to talk about another mountain real quickly. Both my parents are from Helena, Montana. Now, I don't know if you've been to Montana, but it's beautiful, especially this time of year, summer and spring and fall. But the town they lived in, there is a, I remember being there and I was trying to get somewhere and I stopped for direction. I said, hey, um, I'm not from here. How do you get to? And I gave it to them. They said, oh, that's easy. What you want to do is you want to go west on Last Chance Gulch and then turn south. And then it's going to be, uh, then you're going to turn west again. And I told that, I said, okay, um, for just a second, let's assume I don't have a compass. Okay. I'm not from here. But see, what happens is when you live there, they have Mount Helena. It's this huge mountain right by the city. And the high school juniors each year take a bucket of rocks or whitewash. And they go up and there's this huge H. It's like 30, 40 feet tall. And they re-rock and re-whitewash the H. It's Mount Helena. And everybody knows that lives there, that's Mount Helena. That's in the northeast side of town. They have a point of reference, so everything, when they say west, they just look at the mountain, oh, it's that way. They say south, they go, oh, it's this way. Because they have that point of reference. That's what God in life, when we start believing him in our world, we start seeing his truth and that true north and that point of reference starts to come up and starts to live through us. His spirit starts to live in us. When we receive him and start believing his truth, it starts to overflow around us and becomes those open arms to people. Let me give it to you this way. Um, in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus is speaking. He says, when you receive me, he's about to ascend. He says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send you in my name, he will teach you all things. And bring to your remembrance all things that I have said. I'm telling you, when we get in these groups, we start coming on a Sunday. We start hearing the truth. And we start trusting in God in those areas. He starts bringing his truth to mind. His spirit living in us starts showing us which way to go. What to do best. If we pause and trust his spirit in us. Do we always do it? No, because we have a free will. But when we tap into that power, it changes everything. Do I, have I received that? Do I believe it in that area of my life? Because in Ephesians 2.10, this is one of my favorites. For we are God's craftsmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good, which he prepared ahead of time. That's the truth. So if I'm bewildered or frustrated to ask, okay, God, how did you make me? I want to give you one example to wrap up and then ask those two questions again. I was invited, and I, I get these invitations about every other year. I get two or three of them to speak at women's conferences. 
And I always go, you realize I'm not a woman, right? They're like, oh, no, but you're just great. We love it. We want you to come. So I flew to Texas to this one event. They said, meet us at this location. We're going to send a van, and we're going to pick up. There was an artist and a woman who was speaking to myself. They said, meet there. The other ones are there, and we'll pick you up. And sure enough, I'm standing there, and I, there was this lady. Now, I'm going to just describe her the way I saw her initially, and then I'm going to describe her the way I saw her after I heard her. She was from West Virginia. Her dress was not modern. Her hair was not fixed in a fancy hairdo. She was wearing very little, if any, makeup. She spoke with a very uh, mountaineer accent, Appalachian accent. Her teeth probably had not seen a dentist in a while. And as we said, I said, are, are you going to the women's conference? She goes, yeah, they, they asked me to come speak. And I said, okay, well, I'm Ken. I'm actually doing some comedy there. She goes, oh, that's great. I can't wait to hear you. I saw you on the YouTube. And I was like, that's great. And, and I said, what are you speaking? She goes, I, I don't know why they asked me to speak at these things. And I was like, okay. And then she, uh, she took out a pack of cigarettes and lit up. And she goes, I just, I don't want to do this at the church. I know they don't always like that. And, and, she, and I'm so, so I talked to Mary. And, and Mary says, yeah, I just, I'm from this real poor town in West Virginia. And they always like to ask me to tell my story. And I was and then I heard her story that day. I did my, sh my set, and then they had her share her story, and I'm sitting there in tears. And I told her on the way back to the hotel where they put us up, I said, Mary, don't take this wrong, but you are quite possibly one of the most beautiful women I've ever seen in my life. How does that transition take? Because somebody received Jesus and then believed that he made her for a reason. Well, what does she have? She goes, I'm just a poor woman from the poorest, second poorest county in the United States. She said, I'm sitting in church one, and she shares this story. She said, I'm sitting in church one Sunday, and the pastor said, we're going to do this uh, shoebox drive for poor children around the world. And she says, we need somebody to kind of head it up. And she said, I'm sitting there. And it was like somebody just, in my ears going, that's you. And she's like, what do you mean that's me? I'm not the... She goes, I, and she goes, nobody else was talking. She goes, I, Lord, I, Lord, you don't have to do better than that. And she said, He's, I could not hear anything other than it's you. You need to be the organizer. So she went up to the pastor. She goes, Pastor, I don't, I don't know why. I don't know anybody. I'm not, a, I don't know, but I think I'm supposed to manage this. And he goes, wonderful. <laughs> and she said, people started showing up to her trailer. They said, hey, are you that, that box lady collecting these boxes for the kids around the world? She goes, yes. She said, Ken, it filled up the whole house. We had no more room. And she said, I prayed, God, what are you doing? We don't have any room in our house, and they're still bringing boxes. Help. She said, I prayed that. The next day, a dude shows up in my house. Hey, are you that box for the kids lady? And she goes, yes. He goes, I don't know if you need it or not, but I own a trucking company. I got a tractor trailer, a trailer empty. If you need one, I can bring it here. And she goes, yes, I need a tractor trailer. And they got the trailer. She said, we filled up the whole trailer. What am I going to do with the trailer full of boxes? I don't know how to get them. I can't ship. I can't mail them. She goes, God, I need a truck. She said, I got another guy come up out of nowhere at church going, hey, I saw your tractor trailer. It looks full. Do you need, how are you going to get it there? She goes, I have no idea. And he goes, well, I said, you see, I can't get a driver. She goes, well, my husband has a C CDL. She said, but I, I, I don't have a truck. He says, well, take one of mine. They move from West Virginia. They take them down to North Carolina to Franklin Graham's facility. Franklin Graham writes this story in his book, Living Beyond Limits. 
And she shared that. She said, we pull up, we get there early, and I said, we, who is we? She goes, me and my husband, two kids and my dog. She goes, we just all got in that tractor trailer, and we drove from West Virginia down to North Carolina, and we got there middle of the night, but we waited till Monday morning when the, saw somebody walk in. She said, hey, knocked on the door, hey, I'm Mary Dam, and I got some boxes uh, and I, I, for, for Mr. Graham, and uh, just thought we'd bring them off. She goes, well, just put them here in the lobby, and she goes, I don't think you understand. And she goes, what do you mean? She goes, they're out, out here. She goes, well, just bring them in. She goes, I, we, we can't. And she takes the lady out and she calls. She goes, well, it's his day off. And she goes, you might want to call him. And so she calls. Franklin Graham comes down and she goes, Mr. Graham, we just got these boxes. And he goes, who are you? She says, I'm Mary. I'm just a mountain woman from West Virginia. And they started unloading the boxes. He says, Mary, these boxes are going to go over to Kosovo. And I'd like you to go with us to d- distribute them. She goes, well, I... I don't even know where that is. And she, he said, do you have a passport or a visa? She goes, we got no credit cards. We don't do credit cards. <laughs> and, and he said, we'll, we'll take care of that. I want you to go on this trip. She told me on the way back to the hotel, and it, to this day, it just squeezes my heart. She said, Ken, I left out the, the hard parts. She said, we get to Kosovo, and there's a dump, a landfill. And there's kids that live in the landfill that their parents have been killed in the war, and they live in this landfill. And we went out there with these boxes, and these kids came out from everywhere. They live in a landfill. She said they smelled so bad. But I'd hug them. I'd hug them and give them a box. And I'd smile, and I'd hug all over them. She said they smelled so bad. She goes, hey, wait right here. i got to go get some more boxes. She said I would go around the van, and I would throw up because they smelled so bad. And I said, God, give me strength. And I'd take more boxes, and I hugged on them. And I wouldn't stop until every one of them had a box and a hug. And I'm like, wow. I'm like, Lord, that's, that's you. That's you. Grace and truth meeting a need. I'm like, Lord, I, I want that. So my question for you and I this morning is, very simple. If we want to impact the world, we have to first start. We can't give something we don't have. Have I received that grace and truth at my worst with what I don't have? And do I believe that Jesus really did when, when he says, for you are my workmanship created in Christ when you receive him to do good that I've prepared ahead of time? Do I believe it? And do I believe God wants in the middle of that? This morning we have a simple question. If I do, Jesus says this in the book of Revelation, I stand at the door and knock. If you open that door, I will come in. Receiving Christ is just admitting, God, you are God, I am not. And I open the door. I remember hearing that as a 13-year-old and the gentleman speaking, I don't remember his name. He said, it's a trick door. I said, what's the trick? He said, there's only one doorknob that's on the inside. You have to open the door. To as many as receive him, those he gives the right to be called the children of God. Have I received? Do I believe? I want to pray for us, and then I want to just hear this really cool song. Um, Lenny Kravitz wrote it. But, man, I want you to hear it from Jesus' perspective. Let me pray. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for your spirit that you sent for us who believe. And Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here that hasn't received you, they would just open that door 
And for those of us that are here today that are saying, Lord, I, here's the part of my life I don't have joy or peace, that we would invite you into that and yoke in with you and trust you as we walk and you speak to our hearts. We love you, Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.